All right, let me turn your attention now to Hebrews chapter 5. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5, let's go down the page to verse 11 and pick up in verse 11 and read from Hebrews 5, 11 down to verse 14. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there, verse 11. <clears throat> About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that you would awaken your church. Thousands of people are on the roll at Hickory Grove. This could be a vast army. Thousands, Lord. I pray that by your grace, through the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, you would open eyes that unstop ears and make hearts beat for Christ. Find us faithful as we live here in a fallen world. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There is something profoundly wrong. You can feel it in the air if you go to school. If you're a student, you can hear it at school. You can see it at work. You can even experience it in the laws that govern our land. If, if the highest court in the land is receiving a justice that can't or, or really won't, she's an educated woman, so it's politically expedient, she won't, define what a woman is, if it's, if it's politically expedient to not define what a woman is, then you know we have reached a deeper level of debasement in our culture. Now, lest we come off as hypocrites in the church, we need to recognize that there are some things that are wrong with the church as well. As we reach for the speck in other people's eyes, let us not forget the log that happens to reside in our own. When 20% of the people in any given church, not just Hickory Grove, when 20% of the people in a church do 80% of the work, and, and the percentage is even greater among those who give. When attendance at any given church in the Southeast is just a fraction of what the membership role is. When so many professing Christians live their lives like practical atheists, there is a problem. 
There's a real problem of professing believers being absorbed into the zeitgeist of the culture, the, the, the rule of the day, the feel of the moment, finding yourself drifting into that. The danger is the danger of becoming more and more like the fallen world that we actually live in. Is the danger now? It was a danger then. When the letter of Hebrews was written by a pastor, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written to a congregation just like ours. When, when the letter of Hebrews was written, here is a pastor that is writing to his church just like this one that was in a world that is just as fallen and dangerous as ours. In the words of John Piper, you can feel it when you read Hebrews, there's something wrong with the Christians he's writing to. I mean, he just goes down the list and chapter 2, verse 1, the preacher says, pay close attention unless you start to drift. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 1, it says, you need to consider Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, it tells the church, don't harden your heart. Chapter 3, verse 12, he tells the church, take care, take care. I mean, he's talking to Christian people. Take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. Chapter 4, he says to the church, you need to fear lest you fail to enter God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, he tells the church, be diligent to enter God's rest lest you fall by disobedience. What is going on in this church? Chapter 4, he says, you need to hold fast to the confession. John Piper takes a step back and he says in chapter 5, finally the preacher, finally he tells us what the problem is. The people have become spiritually stagnant. Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to take this passage for the next few moments we have together. I want to take this passage and use it to help us come up out, to help us avoid the shipwreck of our faith. You see, to fix the problem, to fix the problem, we must recognize the problem. Here's what the preacher's doing to us now. Gets us to chapter 5, and he's, we've had all these hints. There's an issue. There's a problem. There's a problem in this church. Chapter 6, there'll be another warning. But here, he unveils it to us and says, here's the problem. To fix the problem, we must recognize the problem. Let's go to the Bible. Right there in verse 11. Let's start it there, and you'll notice something. First thing I want you to see is that we need to recognize, we need to recognize spiritual neglect. Go with me there to verse 11. Let's just read it and hear him pause in, in mid-thought. Verse 11. The preacher says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. About what? What do you have much to say about? Well, up in verses 8, 9, and 10, he was talking about Melchizedek, and he says, Now there's a lot I ought to be telling you about Melchizedek and how Melchizedek points to Jesus Christ. He is a type of Christ. But here in verse 11, you can feel some of the frustration when the preacher says, 
I have a lot to say. It's hard to explain. Not because I don't have the oratorical ability or the organizational uh, sermonic ability to put it together where you could understand it. That's not the problem. You know what the problem is? I can't tell it to you. Look at verse 11. Because you have become dull of hearing. Now, dull of hearing. Let's put that aside before I get there. Back up, back up, back up. You, look at the phrase, you have become. This is where you are. That's where you were. You, you once were something else, but now you're this. What, what has happened to you, the preacher says. This is what Paul said to the church at Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. What happened? There was a time when your heart was captivated by grace, when you... When you heard the gospel, you couldn't believe how good it is. That God would save a sinner like you? When you heard that God is holy and you were a sinner, your heart was convicted, and the Bible pointed you to Christ who lived perfectly, died on the cross in your place, God raised him from the dead, and the Holy Spirit convicted, and you believed that, and you were so thankful. There was a time when you, when you listened to the word with eagerness, something, the preacher's saying, something happened. You have become. You ever wonder what happens to some people? Used to be in church, used to be faithful, used to be Sunday school teachers or leaders. What happens? I, there are several things, there are several categories. Sometimes people just get their feelings hurt. Church hurt is a real thing because you get saved and Come to church, you think church is where all the nice people are. Come to church a little bit and find out. So you come in, all the nice people are at church. You get there, you find out it's not really like that. And you can, I mean, it, you can get your feelings hurt. And sometimes that's enough to make people that believe the book stop coming. Church hurt's a real thing. Or, or, or to be disappointed in, <laughs> disappointed in the leaders. You come to church, you get involved, and you get close to the leaders, some of the pastors, and you find out you know, their, their feet really are made of clay. They really, you can be disappointed and people are dis, I mean, my first couple of years here was really, really, really difficult. And part of that transition and just was hard. And uh, October rolls around. October is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. You may want to put that on your calendar somewhere. Pastor Appreciation Month is October. And so I wouldn't, now I didn't get a card. And so I got a card on Pastor Appreciation Month, came to my desk here at the church, opened it up and and it says, Pastor, thank you on the front. Open it up. And the person filled in that said, for being the worst pastor we've ever met. Right. I mean, that was a good hit in the mouth on, on the Monday morning. I know that there's some disappointments sometimes. Or, or you go to church and uh, struggle in a marriage and, and happen to go through a divorce and you can feel like the church didn't support you or God forbid you walk through some abuse or, or a lot of times, a lot of times money. I don't mean you don't have any. I mean, what happens, people get money. You get a little money in your pocket. You can travel on the weekends. You can't do it during the week because you're working. So you're, you're gone. Sometimes that is what, or kids, you have some little super athlete and you got him doing some travel ball and you're away from church. Or, or sometimes it's just inconvenient. I mean, you had a packed week and it'd be just nice to have a day 
or here in the last two years, really out of nowhere, COVID hit us. Sometimes it just fades away. And this morning what I'm doing is asking believers, based on what the Bible says, he says, you've become. You once were here, this is where you are now. Asking believers to to recognize, has there been in your life some spiritual neglect? And if so, would you have the humility just to repent of that, to to turn from that, to ask God to to help you to change, maybe to, to initiate another step, to try something different, and by God's grace, commit your life to honoring God. You see, to fix the problem we got to recognize the problem. And the first thing you have in verse 11 is we need to recognize spiritual neglect. There's a sister to it, though, in verse 11. Spiritual neglect, it has a sister. Go with me there to verse 11. You'll see the second thing. We need to recognize spiritual apathy. Apathy. Indifference. Spiritual, I don't care. Go back with me to verse 11. Let's read the text and get the feel for it right there. Verse 11. About this, the preacher says, about this we have much to say. There's a lot I'd like to give you about Melchizedek and Christ. About this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What a darkly poetic way to phrase the problem. The preacher says, look, I can't even keep teaching. I got a whole lot of information I want to give you that would be good for your soul. But the problem is, it's hard to explain it, not because I don't have the words. The problem is you. Look, if you're a Sunday school teacher or if you're a preacher, or look, if you're a teacher just at school, you have been in the classroom and giving information and seen people's eyes glaze over and them not get any of it. I mean, every time on Sunday morning, I can feel like the sermon is so boring. Let's just close the Bible and go home. One time I was preaching, one time I was preaching, and I could see a guy. By the way, you'd be amazed what I see standing right here. (laughs) It's a miracle. I can keep preaching sometimes. I I, I saw a guy that that was was struggling. I could see that he was on the nods. I mean, his, you you see it, he's fighting it, and his eyelids are coming down. And finally, he just gave up the ghost. And the sleep was so sweet that uh, he had gotten so deep into his nap while I was preaching that there was one short burst of a snore <laughs> that startled him awake, startled me, startled everybody. And I thought, well, you know what? That's probably how we all feel about this sermon right now anyway. Sluggish. The, the word is you've become, here in the text, you've become slow of hearing. That word slow of hearing is uh, lazy. Your Bible might say it's sluggish or lazy. Or in other words, you just couldn't care less. It used to be that worship aroused your attention. Used to be that the Bible captivated your heart. Used to be that theology piqued your interest. Used to be that you were actively engaged, that you were hungry for the word, that you were intentional in your walk with Christ, and now it just doesn't affect you. Sin doesn't hurt you, grace doesn't excite you, worship doesn't move you. 
This is a dangerous place to be now. This is, this is a tough place to be. This is uh, where, where men and women get confused about their salvation. Chapter 6 is the, another warning, and it's, it's really chapter 6 is where a lot of those that don't believe in eternal security go to chapter 6 of Hebrews to say, see, you can lose your salvation. We, we don't believe that, but it gets so foggy it gets so confusing if you've given your life to Christ, you've been baptized, and yet there's nothing. It's confusing for me to preach a funeral. For someone that uh, is a member of this church and hadn't been in 10 years to any church, there's no fruit in his life, and that I'm asked to do a funeral, you wonder, I mean, I, it's very confusing because, because people that love this person are holding on to the fact and it seems to me what the preacher's saying here. I got so much I want to give you. I got so much I want to teach you. I got so much I want you to learn. It's hard to explain, not because I don't know how to do it, but there's something has happened. Something in your life that just, you don't care anymore. Look, if you're lazy in worship, if you're lazy in worship, then you'll be lost in the world. As Christians, this is what we got. Everything else is against what you believe. This is what we have. This is why it's important to be together. And, and the preacher, he's warning his people who are living in a hostile world, they're going to be persecuted. He's warning his people about the lukewarm condition that their souls have slipped into. This is what Jesus said about that. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out. It, it, it's a strange condition of indifference. An indifference to Christ and the Word of God, what it means to be a Christian, your indifference threatens the very course of your life. Your indifference to the things of Jesus threaten the very fiber of the joy that you'll find in being alive. That's why the preacher's giving this, this warning. He's framing a warning and he's saying, brothers and sisters, this is not how it's supposed to be. And maybe in your own heart you can see some of that. It's, I mean, to fix a problem, you've got to recognize the problem. And, and maybe you, you can feel some of that. You recognize it. You would be willing to just to not be prideful, but be humble and say, I need to, I need to, I need to turn from that. Or maybe you just want to sit where you are right now and just ask God, pray, pray to God, God, give me grace to change. Or, or ask a brother or sister for, for, in Christ for help. There are preachers all around here. I would say you need to be joining a community group where you have other brothers and sisters that can speak into your life and carry you when you struggle. Fix a problem, to fix a problem, we've got to recognize the problem. We need to recognize Spiritual neglect, we need to recognize spiritual apathy. Let's go deeper into this text. You want to? It gets, it gets even better. There's something else to recognize in verse 12 and 13. Those two go together. Number three, we need to recognize spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. Let's read those two verses and we'll come back and just sort of go through them. Let's, let's just read them first. Mm -mm. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, 
not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Look at the marks now. Go, go to verse 12. Let's just chop it off and look at the marks. Look at the marks of immaturity right there in verse 12. That, uh, notice what he says in verse 12. By this time, though, by this time, you've been a Christian long enough for some time now, by this time, sufficient time has passed that there should have been some sort of change in your life. There should have been some sort of advance in your life. By this time, you should have been to the point where you could actually explain, you could actually teach. Now, I don't think he's talking about preaching or even Sunday school teaching. I think what he's saying is that, that there are Christians in his church that professed Christ years ago and sufficient time has passed that they should have already had a, a robust handle on what it means to be a Christian. There should have been a change there. There should be some sort of contribution. There, there should be some where you're serving, where you now are invested in the church. Instead, you remain like babies when you ought to be adults. You, you remain like pupils when you ought to be instructors. You remain like someone that's in need of help when you ought to be actually pouring in and helping other people. You remain like in, in this stunted condition when your life ought to be bearing fruit. And you can feel the frustration in the preacher. I mean, it is taxing, taxing. Just last Sunday, I got, I got a good friend, pastors a great church not far from here. We talk all the time. I, I do a um, Hickory Grove, we, we sponsor Mecklenburg County and surrounding counties. I meet with about 25 pastors once a month, go through a book and spend some time together and feed him lunch, and anyway, we do that, and he's in that group, he's my age of a guy, loves the church, nothing wrong, not cheating on his wife, hadn't stole any money, and last Sunday, I saw a video, I had no idea he was doing it, he just resigned, said he was just, he was just tired, last couple years just worn him out. Look, new Christians, new Christians are not a problem. New Christians come in and love Christ. and want to, They're soaking up sponge and want to read, want to grow, want to find out what does it mean to follow Christ. Look, growing, mature Christians. I got Christians in this church that are mature and growing. They've been Christians a long time. Growing. They're not taxing. I mean, the questions are different and they are challenging and they really are accountable. I should say, hold me accountable. But it is a real joy to be able to talk about the deep things of God with a growing and mature Christian. Those aren't the, the challenge. Is someone that has been a Christian for years. And yet there hasn't been any kind of, kind of change. Still wanting to be served instead of serve. And it grinds pastors to fine powder. Preacher says in verse 12. By this time, you ought to have changed. You ought to be teaching. But instead, keep going down, the, keep going down verse 12. Notice it with me. You, you notice they've forgotten the essentials of God's word. What the text says in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, instead, you need someone to teach you again. Remedial. We've done this one before. You need someone to teach you again the 
Look at the phrase, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Milk, not solid food. Basic principles of the oracles of God. Basically, he's saying, you need, to, you need to get a grasp on the essentials, the ABCs again. Basic Christianity, the foundational truths. Protestant Reformation, the start date, 1517, the magisterial reformers, when, when they gathered the people in churches, they found out they don't know anything because before the Reformation, people in the church were not reading the Bible. So they decided to come up with something called a catechism to teach. Catechism was basically there to teach people the truths of Scripture. And what they typically used, primary tools for the catechism, would be the, the Apostles' Creed, short statement of Orthodox Christianity, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Those three things became what every new Christian believed. And the preacher saying here, I'm not telling you you ought to be some sort of world-class theologian. You ought to be someone that has a grasp on the basic, the basic truths of Christianity. And notice he uses a metaphor here. It's a metaphor that every parent understands. He says you're drinking milk, which milk is great, but you ought to be eating solid food. Same thing that Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Remember what he says? To the new, the new Christians, he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation. Then, then just come on down. He just completes the description of verse 13 of what it looks like to be spiritually immature. Look what he says as he completes it. Verse 13. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now you had it in verse 12, the oracles of God. That is simply the, the tone, logion, to theo, the, the word or oracle of God. And now he does it a different way in verse 13. He says it is the word of righteousness. Look, when you're a believer, it takes time it takes time to teach. It takes effort to learn. Something that we all, all are going to need to be duly informed. Have a, a good grasp on what does the Bible say about God and His holiness and His love and His expectation and His judgment. What does the Bible say about mankind and womankind? What does the Bible say about who we are? Are we born good and then because of environment turned bad? Or are we born with a sinful nature? And already under condemnation. What does the Bible say about the, the image of God in each of you? What does the Bible say about sin? How does it come about? How does it affect us? How does it affect others? How does it affect God? What does he expect? What does the Bible say about judgment? Who stands under judgment? What does the Bible say about Christ? The divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross. What does the Bible say about the substitution of Christ? What does the Bible say about how you are saved and the imputed righteousness that God gives us because of Jesus? What does the Bible say about the finished work of Christ, his dying in the place of sinners, the resurrection? What does the Bible say about the lordship of Jesus over your life? You ought to know those things and then be able to talk about them. The preacher says, by this time, 
You ought to be teachers instead. It's, it's milk. It's what, it's what Peter was saying to the church. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ Honor Christ as holy, always being able to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Be gentle about it. Do it with respect, but be able to do it. Do you, do you see the problem? To fix the problem, we've got to see the problem. We need to recognize that maybe some of you have experienced some real spiritual neglect over the last few years. Possibly that neglect has dropped down into verse 11 to spiritual apathy. You've not cared, and so you just need God to give you the ability to care. Maybe you recognize yourself as not being where you should be by way of spiritual maturity. We, we see the sp spiritual immaturity. I'll take you one step further, and then we'll call it a day. It's there in verse 14. Number four, we need to recognize a spiritual fog, a fog. We need to recognize the spiritual fog and come out of it. I'm sure where I get that. It's right there in verse 14. Here's the danger, that, here's the danger we're living in, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish, here's the, the reason behind it, to distinguish good from evil. Here's the danger. We are actually living in a world that calls evil good and good evil. I mean, just pick a topic. The world will not understand what you say as a Christian about what it means to actually be a woman. Biblical femininity, what does it look like to follow Christ as a woman, to serve him as a woman, to live your life as the Bible describes womanhood, to joyfully do that. What does it look like to define biblical masculinity? I don't mean the weird macho stuff. I mean, what does the Bible say about masculinity? What does it look like to be responsible and to serve and to lead with humility? What does it look like to, to have integrity or to be productive or to live in a Christ-like manner? And the preacher says here in verse 14, you need solid food. Milk is great, but it gets you to the point where you've got to start eating something. And the Bible says here that, that that meat, according to verse 14, is there for a reason. Solid food is for the mature, for those who are having the powers of discernment trained. You need solid food to fuel the training. If you, ever, if you ever tried to train for anything physically, you've done a marathon or been in a contest or an athlete, you understand some of this. Paul picks up the imagery in all of his writings. My favorite verse, 1 uh, first, first Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says, I buffet my body, make it my slave. Not, not the Baptist version, I buffet my body. Not that. <laughs> Read it correctly. I buffet my body and I make it my slave so that after having preached to others, after I've done my job, I will be disqualified. Or in the book of Philippians, Paul says that I'm, I am pressing on toward the upward goal, the call of God, this understanding of training our lives. But if you're going to be trained, I mean, the whole 
point of the verse is that immature believers are so easily led astray. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says, don't, don't, be, don't be spiritual infants tossed to and fro by, by the waves, carried along by every kind of wind of doctrine. If you aren't careful now, if you aren't careful, you can casually drift into some weird, you can casually drift into some weird, low standard of Christian life. Where you start minimizing the life-giving importance of being in worship, of being in community, of knowing what the Word says. The end of 14, the end of the verse, brings the command forward and shows us how to fight this, this, this spiritual immaturity. Verse 14 says, the powers, the, the powers of discernment are trained by constant practice so that you can tell good from bad, so that you can distinguish good from evil. You know what you have here? You, you, you have here, like you would any other training plan, it is the steady application of the spiritual discipline, the steady application of the spiritual disciplines. So that although we live in a fallen world, we don't live without hope, we live in a fallen world and we can forge a new way of life that emanates from the Word of God. You see, great doctrine provides a skeleton. And that skeleton is there to hold up the muscles you start building and working. Those muscles are there to carry us through living ethical lives. We live a life that, that reflects the ethic of the Bible. And we live it in such a way that we are providing, the Holy Spirit provides the glue that holds us together that actually forms the church. Together. All kinds of sinners. Look, we're all kinds of sinners from all walks of life, redeemed by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. We want to be spiritually hungry. We want to be passionate about the Word. We want to be mature in our Christianity. We want to be clear on our beliefs. We come together as the church of Jesus in the city of Charlotte for the glory of God. I want you to be in on every bit of that. I want the powers, your powers of discernment trained so that you can live out there in this confusing world fed by God's Word, able then to distinguish. You can tell the difference between good and evil. You can live your life joyfully for the glory of God and for the good of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This morning, why don't we close together a word of prayer and joy in our hearts. You join me as we pray together with your heads bowed this morning as we close. Just think with me just for a moment. To fix the problem, you've got to recognize the problem. And I would just be curious, have you seen in your own life any problem? 
Have you, have you noticed any of that today? Did it come to your heart? Whether it's spiritual neglect or spiritual apathy, or maybe you recognize immaturity, or you've been in a fog. I'm asking you today to commit. To commit to change, to ask for help, take the right steps. Today as we close in a worship, one last song. It's a good time to come and pray if you'd like to come and pray or have someone pray with you. Or maybe out in the lobby later to talk to one of the pastors or one of the community group leaders so we can start growing in Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for grace that is real and saves. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for Hickory Grove. I pray you would find us faithful. Use us as your church here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you stand please as we sing together?